Welcome back to the Being Husband Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan West, bringing you guys another episode here. Telling you all, like I always do, gents, thank you for being a part of the work that we're doing. If you've been with us for any length of time, then you know what we're all about. We're here to help you as a man live on mission in your marriage. And today is no different than that. No, we're going to be having a conversation with uh, a new fellow that I found, a new pastor that I found. His name is Pastor Michael Foster. And he is uh, stirring up quite a storm on Twitter, to say the least. And uh, Michael Foster is a guy that I met uh, this past summer. And I just really resonated with a lot of the things that he was talking about. A lot of the things that he said, he's got a podcast called It's Good to Be a Man, and he'll talk more about that on the episode. But he is a pastor that is not afraid to go against the grain, a pastor that's not afraid to go against uh, the common narrative that that men are all evil and, and hate women and on and on and on. You guys know the story. So I appreciate him for coming on. Uh, I'm not going to uh, spread too much about what's going to happen on here, but I encourage you guys to listen. I encourage you guys to take note, and I encourage you guys also to follow that man on Twitter if you are a Twitter person. That's I think it's this is Foster on Twitter, and he'll share he'll share, share his handle at the end of the episode. So, without further ado, this is our, my conversation I had with Michael Foster from "It's Good to Be a Man" podcast. Hey, Michael! Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hey, man! It's glad to be here. Uh, I mean, it's great to be here. I'm glad to be with you. I feel like I got to put some respect on your name and call you Pastor Michael because you're just that that much of a, a heavyweight in the in the manosphere right now. <laughs> well, all my friends just call me Michael, but uh, yeah, but it's, a, it's a privilege to serve the Lord in His church. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So let's let's get into we'll get into the topic, but real quick, tell us a little bit about Michael Foster. What are you what are you getting into? Um, what's your background briefly? Marriage? How long you've been married? Kids? The use? Sure, man. Um, so I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I grew up in a broken family, lived with my Jewish grandma for a long time. So had a really diverse background, but the reality was I, I grew up agnostic or atheist. Uh, converted when I was 17 years old just through the faithful ministry of a girl in my art class, uh, a biology teacher, and the preaching of an ex-bearcat from UC Cincinnati. <laughs> So uh, he, he just preached crazy. the gospel. He preached the gospel to me, and I got saved. That's all there was to it. One day I was an atheist, reading Carl Sagan, and coming pretty hard at the Christians. All the Christians I knew were a bunch of hypocrites, and uh, I knew a lot of Christian girls that were sleeping with my friends. And uh, so I never that whole mm. women as angels idea never really played out with me because I've been around. But uh, became a Christian. You knew. Yeah. yeah, I knew, man. Like everyone, I, the only people I don't know are homeschoolers and people that live in a Christian bubble. But those of us that have been around, we're like, yeah, we know how people can be. But uh, so I converted and I uh, got uh, discipled and ended up being a youth pastor. And then I, I moved into the ministry. Uh, I married my wife, Emily. We've been married, uh, I think it's 18 years. This um, is it 18 years. Yeah, it's 18 years this summer. We've had eight children. One little girl died, uh, Nicaea, but we have uh, wow. four boys and three girls. So we've had eight kids all together. And right now we are moving out to Batavia, Ohio, which is a, a kind of a satellite city outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, where we have planted a new church, East River Church, which is 12, 12 weeks old. That's our story. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's really good. 
That's really good. I, I I brought you on uh, primarily, and I know you're limited on time, so I brought you on primarily because you you've done a lot of work uh, with sexuality and specifically in the area of really, really getting specific about what we're uh, up against in the church. It's not really a battle. And this is a term that you said or a quote that you said. It's not a battle of the sexes or a battle of genders, right, male versus female, but it's a battle battle on gender. And the the article that I read was the one where you talk about androgyny is paganism. And so I want to I want to flesh that out. So what do you mean by androgyny and what are its ties to paganism, would you say? Well, man, first off, much respect for pulling it out, because it is one of the big uh, threads, one of the big ideas that I've had. Uh, I was a anthropology, sociology student way back in 1999, and I'm taking a uh, 101 intro class anthropology or sociology. And there's this picture of this big oiled up black bodybuilder, right? Just about as muscular as you could be, and like a sort of Ronnie Coleman like guy. And uh, in this picture, uh, this guy had taken it and showed it to a tribe out in Africa. And the tribe said, man, that is a big woman. <laughs> so this tribe perceived this bodybuilder <laughs> as a woman. And in this chapter in this book goes on and talks about anthropo- or, uh, androgyny and how uh, companies realized that they couldn't sell makeup and hair gel to women anymore. So they started to market it to men because the women were saturated as a marketing segment. And so they had to find a way to make purses cool for men. So they made them into satchels or mailbags. And this is the whole idea of androgyny, wow. which is, it was fascinating to me. You know, I'm a 19 year old kid. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a cool idea. Um, it's interesting because I'd seen things like that. And so what androgyny does, it blurs the line between sexual distinctions or gender distinctives um, and or it makes them interchangeable right so androgyny has it's either blurred or interchangeable so it's somewhere between man and woman or a woman can be a man or a man can be a woman more or less so uh, that that's the main idea of androgyny and one of the great examples of androgyny is the Ziggy Stardust album by uh, David Bowie. If you type in David Bowie and androgyny and go to Google Images, you'll pull up this figure of this guy that's like neither male or female. And it'll and once you do that, the idea of androgyny will tr- like quickly start to like gel in your brain. You're like you'll see it. But what was interesting to me is that androgyny is ultimately an attack on distinctions. So when it comes down yes. to worldviews, you have two worldviews, only two worldviews. You have, and this is straight from Peter Jones, who's a, uh, a theologian who wrote an article on, on paganism. Um, but you have oneism, all is one. So all is one basically says that um, everything's made of the same God stuff and distinctions are an illusion. So that would be like Brahmin and Hinduism. Right. So it, that means that everything's like a God sort of material. In all, if you're a, a philosophical naturalist, here's the same thing. Because either you have a universe that's existed forever or you've had a God that's existed forever that made the universe. But something has been around forever. And so you have – that's called oneism. All is one. Then you have twoism. There's a God that exists and then he makes things. 
So there's a God and creation. That's a creation as a creator creation distinction. Paganism eliminates all distinctions and blurs everything down into one. It's, it's so when you look at pagan worldviews, they never properly maintain the creator creation distinction. They don't have a pre-existent God right. uh, that existed prior to any sort of time space continuum before any sort of matter. Um, they, they, that the, the physical world, the world of stuff has existed forever in their mind. Um, <clears throat> so androgyny, what's funny about it is that it's all about eliminating distinctions, d- distinctions between creator and creation, but also male and female. Right. And that's how androgyny right. is pagan. You see paganism, uh, the, the paganism androgyny in the fall. So um, fall, if you think about the fall of, of mankind in Genesis chapter three, uh, it, it's helpful to think about it in context of, uh, or in, in contrast to Genesis chapter two. In Genesis chapter two, God makes man as an Adam, puts Adam as a Lord over the earth. Then he makes Eve from Adam, the woman, and makes Adam and the woman as lords over creation. So God, Adam, Adam to Eve, and then Adam and Eve together over all of creation. Right. So that's the flow of authority. Then right. if you think about what happens in Genesis chapter 3, you literally have a snake, Satan coming in the form of a serpent, creation, right? an animal that, that Eve and Adam both are supposed to rule over. He comes to Eve, tempts her, she tempts Adam, and then Adam accuses God. So in the fall of man, you literally have a direct reversal of the flow of authority that was established in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And Satan's goal is to create chaos, to break down um, the uh, structure of creation, the created order. He wants to flatten it out. He wants right. to make the distinction between creator and creation because Satan himself is a creation, uh, but also uh, the distinction between male and female. He wants to blur them and make them interchangeable because it causes chaos. And a way to think about this mm-hmm. the, the, that I always call to people's attention, there's a movie called The Patriot, sorry, Mel Gibson. In that movie, mm-hmm. Mel Gibson is trying to get his son back who's been captured by British officers. And he takes his two young sons and he tells them to <clears throat> shoot for the heads of the uh, officers. So take the officers out first, and then all the privates will be confused. Right. If, if you remove the order of, you know, the flow of authority, then mm-hmm. that'll cause chaos and that'll allow you to. And that's exactly what what any rebel does that wants to usurp authority. He destroys the system of structure, the structure of, of hierarchy or whatever, and then he can step in and make himself the king. And that's what's going on. That's how um, androgyny is paganism, but also how it's uh, satanic. Ultimately. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too, because one of the things that uh, yourself and uh, I think maybe even Aaron Wren and and I've kind of been thinking about too is this idea about uh, Gnostic influences on Christianity, and you think and, and I think it's interesting to note that Gnostic or the word Gnosis is to know, and that Satan appealed in that way to Eve. It was an idea of this is how you kind of level up and get that new knowledge and transcend 
the limitations that God put on you in the system, mm-hmm. right? The order of hierarchy that God put on you. He appealed on the basis of knowledge and, and power. And I, and I think that that's something important for the church to think about. And I, I really kind of wanted to have you on as, as well to pinpoint, you know, how has, how has that paganism, uh, be it Gnosticism or, you know, the gen- the general idea of androgyny, how has that infiltrated the church in your estimation, would you say? Well, I can think of conversations I've had with many people about feminism uh, that I've had about sexuality. And the thing that sticks out to me most is that they they seem to think that there's no major differences between men and women. Like they'll say things like, well, besides plumbing, what's the major difference? Besides plumbing, what are you talking about? You mean besides our genetic code? Besides like the yeah. fact that we have uh, gonads on the outside and they have uteruses on the inside besides that we are we have testosterone they have estrogen they can have babies we can't have babies like it's like there's significant differences first off let's not act like besides the plumbing that's such a dumb statement right and i've heard that right. said by very yeah. smart people yeah. and and so there's this sort of like uh diminishing of sexual dis- differences you know this uh almost denigrating of them first off these are distinctions that come from god it's funny our our culture is apt to divide over distinctions that are minor or not real but we're not willing to talk about distinctions and diversities that really matter um but so i think it's a big deal in that people denigrate the difference between male and female it's good to be a man that's why we call our podcast it's good to be a man it's also good to be a woman this is what god mm-hmm. has designed us here it's binary sexuality you're one or the other and then there's always some idiot in the crowd that says what about hermaphrodites right well the reality first off is that that's clearly not the design that's a genetic error that's right. not normal. Yeah, right. Hermaphrodites don't have a perfectly working penis and a perfectly working vagina. They usually have a very small penis or a very small clitoris or one's more predominant than the other. And it's super rare to begin with. Um, the, the reality is that what's normal is to be male or female. And it's by God's design. And it's good. That's what God says in Genesis 1. So we end up diminishing both uh, the goodness of male and the goodness of, of female. Uh, moreover, is that our entire life is sexual. Everything we do is sexual. It's never right. not sexual. I am always my sex, and I will always be my sex. I was conceived as a male. I have lived my life as a male, and when I die and I'm resurrected to everlasting life or everlasting yes, death, it will be as a male. So Amen. as an Orthodox Christian, if we believe that human nature is part of God's good design as opposed to a Gnostic that rejects it, and we believe in the resurrection of the physical body to life or to death, mm-hmm. then we recognize that human nature is something that ex- exists forever. Mm-hmm. So the problem is people are coming to churches, and they're having preaching that treats men and women as if they're identical and there are experiences and commands that we have that are identical we're all commanded to fear god we're all commanded to live a life of worship and that glorifies him there's things that all apply but look are we seriously saying that a mother is the same thing as a father right are we saying that um a a woman's responsibilities in this world are identical to a man like we all know better than that Right. And you have to live into some sort of delusion. But the church is afraid to 
to really lock down on the goodness of these uh, distinctions. And so they end up capitulating to a feminist culture. And so with feminists, they always tell me how men and women are similar. Like I deny that. Of course we're similar. We're mankind, right? God makes man in his image, female and, uh, and male. He makes us an image, right? Like, so it's binary sexuality. We have a, we have the similar human nature. Of course we have a lot in common. Now, feminist, now complementarian, tell me how we're different, right? Tell me, tell me the goodness of our distinctions. You want to spend all this time talking about how we're the same. Do you have the guts to say how we're different and how it's good? Many of them don't. And they'll, they'll take a stand. They'll maybe say that, you know, um, men and women, men should be the head of the household and only men should preach. And they'll somehow limit that to society as if our sexuality, we don't carry it with us into our workplace or into the civil magistrate or into all places. And so the problem we have with the church is just a delusion and a denial and an unwillingness to admit what's super clear that boys have penises and girls have vaginas. So you got to go back to like kindergarten cop. Right. This is like nuts, man. Like yeah. these conversations and, and the differences are good and it's great, you know, so it's, it's, it's bonkers. Yeah. And so men are coming to churches and they're being told to act more like women and women are being told to act more like men because what's happening is we're, we're blurring. Like, for example, <clears throat> I'll give you let's go for all the offensive stuff. Um, I always tell women that uh, that men couldn't give a crap. Pardon me. You couldn't give a crap about your degree and how much money you make because there's nothing in that that's feminine necessarily. And there's like, so in other words, a degree doesn't make you look more. Which is the thing that draws us sexually to them. Yeah, yeah. We're sexually drawn to femininity, to a gentle and quiet spirit, to a receptive nature, to the nurture, to all those things that are um, intrinsic to their sex. There's a reason women want to be nurses and psychologists and teachers. They want to take care of kids. They want to be caretakers. They want to be emotionally there. They want to build networks and and, uh, society. That's what women do, right? There's a reason that you can uh, look and or like a lot of times when I talk to women, they tell me what their degree areas are. It's very rare that I'm surprised. Um, it's usually always emph- emphasizes human relationships because women women uh, develop linguistically sooner. Women uh, are are very good communicators. They're very sensitive to how their communication affects other people. Their sensitivity is a blessing as long as it's tempered by the male presence, right? In the church, we want people to feel included. We don't want heretics to feel included, right? So women, when you have the ordination of women in churches, often what happens is that they, out of a desire to be someone that knits together uh, a family and brings people in tight, they'll allow people that teach false teachings to hang around that they should, you know, kick to the curb. Um, and that's why denominations with female ordination always go liberal, like within a decade or so. And if you don't believe me, you can go to Evangelical Feminism by Wayne Grudem and read the appendix in that book. And he does a really good job at detailing the history of several denominations that ordain women to the office of, of pastor so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and and i think that that's 
that's a lot to really unpack. And I know that that's, I mean, that's probably a whole nother conversation in itself. I, I think the, the biggest question is for me anyway, because I can, you know, any guy that listens to my podcast understands that they're, you know, our surrounding institutions are drastically changing, right? And, and, and in a way that um, we really don't know up from down. Uh, and, and especially my generation, millennial men, we, we don't really have a clear understanding of what it is to to be a man. And that's why a lot of us, interestingly enough, and, and you pointed this out as well, and I've kind of seen it in, in life of my friends, a lot of Christian men are running to red pill stuff or running to manosphere stuff or running to Jordan Peterson, as opposed to running to their pastor of their church. And I think in large part, it's because what you've outlined here, pastors are scared to go there. And I I guess I wonder from your perspective, Michael, what do we do in our own personal lives as, as men to reform our own minds first like our own relationship with the Lord, our own relationship to our, you know, God-given sexuality. And then how do we reform our marriages? And then from that, how do we reform our churches? Sure. Well, um, it's the Being Husband podcast, right? So um, protect, preside, provide, right? Those are three Ps for you. Those are three Ps that you hear talked about a lot about in the manhood. I think um, the guy that um, did, uh, what's the... Art of manliness talks about those, but those are those are good, good emphasis. As a man, your job is to protect, right? If there's a bump in the night, you don't be like, "Hey, sweetheart, go see what that was about," right? <laughs> right, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like even even the blue hair feminists expect their skinny soy drinking boyfriend to go down there to see what's going on. Figure it out, right? <laughs> so soy. One, Oh gosh, you went there. (laughs) So as a guy, your job is to protect. Be deadly. I always tell men, be able to kill kill someone with your bare hands, right? Like get in shape, be able to throw, grab, go get a tractor tire and flip it over a bunch of times, hit it with a uh, sledgehammer, move some heavy weight, man. I don't care. Run, climb, whatever it takes, like get in shape. Um, everyone tells you that women aren't uh, visually driven by sex. That's a lie. That's a lie. Like, if you want your <laughs> wife to be attracted yeah. to you, drop the fat, get deadly, make her feel safe, right? Um, if you do that, it'll – women like feeling small. There's a reason women don't date men that are taller than them usually. When the biggest – decision makers in whether a woman's going to date a guy is whether or not he's taller than her. She wants to yeah. feel safe. She wants to feel smaller. It's about his ability to protect her. That's what's going on there. It's not a woman being shallow. It's a woman having uh, instincts that are God given. I need a man that can protect me and my babies. Right. And so be the sort of man don't, don't obsess over the height Right. Be serious when it comes to being in shape. So be able to protect her. Right. Make her feel um, Mm -hmm. at ease. I find a lot of guys who are having a lot of marriage problems. uh, What it comes down to is that their wife is experiencing anxiety. And I really think that's the weakness of the female sex is that they're given anxiety. There's a reason right now that alcohol and prescription drug abuse is exploding among women. It's just 
boom, it's blowing up. It's not at parity with men at all. And I think uh, men are able to deal with uh, conflict in the outside world better than women are. I think it's very clear. And uh, so a man needs to protect a woman. So think of it this way. I'll give you an imperfect analogy. You can put your coffee mug at the bottom of your – like on the floorboard of your car, right? You take it outside with you. You got your coffee in it. You're on your way to work. Bounces around. It gets a little chip out of it. Whatever. The coffee mug still works, right? You can't do that with a wine goblet, mm-hmm. right? right? So uh, like men are more like coffee cups. Women are like wine goblets. Wine goblets are perfect for what they're designed for. There's not a problem with the wine goblet, but you're not going to let it bounce around at the bottom of your car. It's not made for that purpose, right? Where a coffee mug is tough. That's what we are. So be able to protect. Then um, be able to provide. So women don't want a guy that's going to have sex and leave. The reason is is they're going to get stuck with a baby and no one to take care of it. Guys don't want a woman that's going to come in their life. And as Kanye warned us all, be a gold digger, right? <laughs> right. And that's like yeah, yeah, Kanye's yeah. right. He's right. This is what men fear. Yeah. And and you know, people think, oh, that sounds like worldly talk. Well, you're an idiot. You haven't read Proverbs. Proverbs, one of the main warnings that Solomon gives to his son is that the the adulteress will consume your house. She'll tear it, she'll bring your house down. She'll tear all the stuff you've worked to build. She'll bring it down with you. And there's a lot of guys out there that dated that crazy hot chick, right? She was shaped like an hourglass. She was she was sexy. She was flirtatious, but she wasn't godly. And they got hooked up with that chick. And she was a man eater and she ate him alive and took all their stuff, right? Well, dude, you walked right into the spider's web. That's on you, man. Right. You you got to know better. And so men are scared of a woman that's going to take their stuff. Right. Because our stuff is a representation of our effort. We, we work for 40, 50 hours a week. And then that effort is given to us back in money. And that money is invested in things that we want to give to people. Right. That's that's how we exchange and show yeah. our love. And then we got these chicks in that will have one or two of our babies and divorce us and take half of our house. And then we don't get to see our kids, right? So a guy's got to be able to protect, uh, he's, but he's also got to be able to provide. And women are looking for provision. And, uh, and I get why guys are scared of like locking down, but you've got to be able to give a woman what she needs. Make her feel comfortable. Make her trust you. Make her know. And then you've got to be able to preside. This is the hardest part. Presiding is uh, leadership. A lot of guys want to be able to command a woman around, Right, but that's that's not how it works. It takes leadership. There's a time to give a command, but commands usually come out of uh, a relationship that's built on trust, and especially on a guy. So if you think about, go back to like basic training or something like that. Usually, your first sergeant or your drill sergeant, he can do the push-ups that you can't do. He can do them. He can outrun you, man. He actually knows what he's talking about. He's not just talking out his butt. He's an expert. And uh, so when he commands you, he can take you to task. And what a lot of men need to work on is actually being the man of quality to lead their wife, right? Like they actually have to know how to persuade her, lead her, uh, show, comfort her, show her how the the math – like how buying this house or buying this car or selling this thing or whatever it is you're doing, how it makes sense. 
But a lot of guys are too lazy to do that. They just want to issue commands. And the commands aren't coming from a place of mastery, a place of demonstrated ability. Uh because they're lazy, they're like Barney Fife. If you ever watched Andy Griffith, right? Barney Fife was dangerous. He couldn't. He didn't even. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even have a bullet in his gun, man. Right? He's always walking around pointing at his badge, <laughs> begging people to respect him. Right? Like if you have to say, "Woman, yes. respect me. I'm yeah. your husband." If you're saying that, well, lol. You, you probably don't have the gravitas, right? You're not carrying the weight with you. What you gotta do as a man is. Develop all these things. Be good at protecting, good at providing, good at presiding, right? I, I To me, it's a game when people try to trigger me online. I love it. It's a game when my kids try to trigger me. It's a game when my wife tries. Like, you don't control my emotions. I, my job as the head of my household is to be the one person that doesn't get triggered. You can't do it. You will never get me <laughs> off my game. It's not going to happen. My job, I set – I, I set the um, the barometer, or excuse me, the thermometer. Like I'm going to stay even yeah. in control, and so what guys got to do is they got to work on those areas. They got to be able, uh, uh, they have to be able to protect. Right? We talk about uh, guys that run at the face of battle are cowards. Women aren't. We expect them to run. Women that we don't talk about deadbeat moms. We talk about deadbeat dads. Is expected that guy. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we can talk about great women leaders, but they're like, what? In history, they're a handful. Give me a break. There's not very many great women leaders. Mm -hmm. I'm reading a book right now, uh, The Last Lion, about Winston Churchill. When we look at history, we see like these incredible men who, in the face of overwhelming odds, were able to keep their cool and press forward to victory, right? That's what you have to be. Mm -hmm. Don't. Don't act like that's unique. That uh, like that's not unique to male. It is a unique male attribute: the ability to protect, to provide, and preside um, as as the lead in your home. Yeah, right on. So then, and and I guess from your perspective too, if you're able to do that, just like Paul is saying to Timothy, right? Don't allow a man to lead your church if he doesn't have his household in order. So that you would say that provided that those things are in place, provided that, 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 that is the kind of man that you're aspiring to be and you're working towards, that is probably how you would reform the church that you belong to, or like yourself, maybe plant a new church or something to that effect, because people will actually be able to trust what you say outside of your household because your people in your household trust what you say. Yeah. So when I started, so we're, we're just finishing up the book. It's good to be a man for Canon press right now. Awesome. And, um, when we started this project, the more I got into studying the biblical doctrine of household and looking at, First uh, Timothy chapter three, which you just cited, a man being able to um, rule his own household well. I was serving as an associate pastor, and I started wondering, am I disqualified? <clears throat> like, mm. with given what I understand about, yeah, I was like thinking, what I understand about the household is my household managed well in a basic way that it should be to be an elder in the church. Cause a lot of times it's like your kids, they think that means your wife doesn't just disrespect you and your kids come to church. 
That's what they think that means. But I looked at it more broader than that, that your house is well-ordered financially, relationally, spiritually, all those things. And so when I uh, took a break from the ministry as an associate pastor and moved back here to Cincinnati, I took over a year off on purpose. And me and my wife got in a different budget. We paid off, I don't know, $30,000 of debt. We had like an $85,000 swing in uh, net worth. Um, We closed on a house this, this Friday out in Batavia, and we got real serious because I wanted to be able to tell people, do what I did, right? And let me walk you through this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to reform myself, you know, and I was applying a lot of the principles we were talking about on, on the, our podcast and our website and, and on Twitter or whatever. I was applying them to my own life. They're coming from a place of um, personal experience, and I wanted to be able to not be a hypocrite. Right. And so I think a lot of guys yes. um, should start there. Start with yourself. Right. If you can't rule yourself, how can you rule a household? If you can't rule a household, how can you rule the church? If you can't rule in the church, how can you rule in the society? Mm-hmm. And so you start with yourself first. And I think that's how we reform the church. Like right now, like a lot of the guys listening to this, I just tell you right now, me and you both know you're a joker. You're full of crap. Right. <laughs> you're full of it. Like you are buying the wrong things, spending the money the wrong way, spending your time the wrong way. The reason your wife doesn't respect you is because of the way you conduct yourself and you can blame everybody. But the last thing this this society needs is more victims. We need less blame shifting. And as a man to say, you know what? I didn't do everything to myself, but I did a lot. And I'm going to take responsibility for everything I can and get it done. And the moment you as a man stop being a victim – and start being a victor and being the sort of guy that can overcome and get things done is the moment that your house is going to experience an incredible revival. And our problem is that our churches are full of a bunch of babies that point the finger at everybody when all of us men know that most of our problems are with us. Maybe your dad screwed you over. Maybe your mom screwed you over. Maybe your divorcee and your wife screwed you over. Fine. I don't doubt those things happen. We're not responsible for those things, but we are responsible for how we react to our circumstances. That is our responsibility, mm-hmm. and and you've made decisions. Mm-hmm. And so the first step in reforming the church is reforming yourself, saying, God, I repent. Mm-hmm. Help me. Stop, stop blaming other people. Help me deal with the sins that's in front of me and get these things done. That's why guys like Jordan Peterson, when they talk about making your bed or cleaning your room, why they help so many men because right. it's, it's just – Start where you're at, right? And that's where we need to be as a church right now. And and then we have to be able to like level guys up, right? Like it's good. You take responsibility, yes. clean your room, then you start going to the gym, you start saving some money, you start making some investments mm-hmm. in something besides AMC. Um, but uh, you start doing those sort of things. Uh, that's good. Then you got to be able right. to level up to the next to the next uh, you know the next step, you know. And that's where I would say we need to start. That everyone wants to like write books and start podcasts, but honestly, a guy that isn't laden in debt, a guy that's not looking at porn, a guy that's not fat as you know, Fat Albert, a guy that is uh, that commands respect by his very presence, a guy that's respected at work, a guy that knows his Bible. um, That that guy's gonna that guy's gonna do so much damage for the Lord, right? He's gonna make a difference. Michael, this has been good, man. I, I've been. This is a long-awaited thing. You guys that are listening don't understand. I reached out to this guy, 
in the summer and uh he pulled no punches when we talked on the phone so i said i gotta have him on so uh i appreciate you brother for coming on i i really do and i really appreciate your ministry how can we stay connected with what you're doing you can find me for the moment on twitter and gab at this is foster and at it's good to be a man.com is where a lot of articles are we have a podcast that's on itunes spotify wherever called it's good to be a man and uh, reach out to me there. And honestly, guys like you, Jonathan, keep me going, man. This is great. I love your podcast. I listened to a couple episodes this past week. Uh, what what the church needs, we don't need uh, we don't need a bunch of experts. We need a bunch of brothers and fathers working with each other, right? We we need this is a this yeah. is a team sort of thing. We can make a real difference in our country. Yeah, and I think we will. I think we will. I appreciate you coming on. Amen. Thanks. have it guys another conversation in the books with a wise guy michael foster a great conversation i think he and i had about uh really just the dangers of an androgynous theology and how that spreads out into the culture and how we can be men that don't accept it be men that don't embrace it so i hope you found this information helpful i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did leave us a rating review on apple itunes it really helps us to be able to spread this message with other men that that need to hear it that want to hear it so i encourage you guys to do that for me today uh, give us a follow on instagram as well at being husband pod that's at being husband pod i do post pretty frequently there also have a, a hot takes segment that i that i quite enjoy doing uh on i think i do that like on thursdays or something like that but uh, anyway follow us on instagram there as well and uh we always want to thank octave studios for our intro and our outro and mixing us down i couldn't i couldn't do it without uh, reed reed is the guy behind octave studios i could not do this without him and i, and I really appreciate it also couldn't do it without our patreon supporters guys if the spirit has moved you in such a way i encourage you all give us a uh, follow send us a donation patreon.com slash being husband pod patreon.com slash being husband podcast excuse me um i don't get i don't use that money right i use that money to help us increase our search engine optimization and i use that money as well to save for uh better equipment better quality so um your donations were a direct result of the the transition in sound <laughs> that took place on this podcast, and uh, they'll continue to be used to grow this. I don't use this for income. I use this as an opportunity to be able to shed, uh, spread, I should say, uh, the message that I believe the Lord would, would have me spread. So uh, consider doing that today. I encourage you to consider doing that today. And again, I want to thank I've Take Studios as usual. And like I always say, gents, take care and build on. Thank you.